Our sermon's coming out of John 2, and the words will be on the screen behind me. On the third day, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants had drawn knew. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, "Everyone serves good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely the poor wine, but but you have kept the good wine until now. This the first of his signs." Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Pray with me. Father, through your word and by your spirit, would you help us to believe in the grace of Jesus? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we started a series on John. John is part of the, the, the New Testament. So the Bible is divided into two parts, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, Old Testament, the writings up to Jesus. New Testament starts with the life of Jesus uh, and then goes forward. John is one of what we call the Gospels. It's a, uh, one of the first four books of the New Testament where they really zero in on uh, the life of Jesus. And so last week we looked at the introduction to who Jesus is. Uh, And this week we look at the first miracle of Jesus. And so let's get started. Uh, This week I, uh, this week I turned 38. And uh, as a, thank you for not making any noise on that. Uh, And as a kid, uh, birthdays were exciting, right? We look forward to getting old. At 38, not so much. And so my, my birthday started with my six-year-old daughter coming out to me uh, and saying, hey, hey, daddy. Daddy, your, your hair, it's, it's kind of like a cone. Um, you know, it goes back on the side, but then it comes to a point in the front. It's like a cone, Daddy. And I was like, you mean a receding hairline. Thank you uh, for that. I, I do so. Uh, thank you, my sweet little daughter. Uh, and then it was time for my presents. Uh, and my son, <laughs> my four-year-old son, he, he comes up to me and he's like, Dad. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to give you a hint. It goes around your wrist. (laughs) And it has a circle on top. (laughs) You mean like a watch, buddy? I'm not going to say. 
in the business, we call that a strong hint. <laughs> he didn't just come out and say it, but he made it pretty obvious. Uh, and this is what John is doing in the context of a wedding party. John is giving a strong hint at who Jesus is and the life that's offered. He doesn't just come out and say it, but he makes it pretty obvious. And so we need to do a little bit of searching, so let's, um, let's get started. Verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And so uh, the first thing we need to do is we need to talk about weddings. We need to understand the context. So weddings at all points in human history have been a really, really big deal. Right? They were a big deal then. They were a big deal now. Uh, my uh, sweet sisters in this room, you, you ladies, uh, likely grew up dreaming about your wedding day. You likely grew up uh, with dolls set out on tables, singing wedding bells and wedding songs inside of your own head, playing uh, pretend wedding, and this probably started at a really early age. My, uh, my daughter, who's six, she has a boy crush. Um, her boy crush is named Brighton. Brighton lives in Boston, and a few weeks ago, a uh, week and a half ago, we got the second letter from Brighton written to my daughter, Isley, uh, that had hearts written all over this letter. And when my daughter came up to me to show me the letter, matter-of-factly, right, not, not with glee like the first time, not like, oh, Daddy! She just walked up to me and said, Daddy, it's true. I'm going to marry Brighton. So I said, you're grounded for 40 years. This is woven into the heart of humanity, and you ladies know it from day one, that weddings are a really big deal. Now, the, the difference is the wedding ceremony, the event, it's really done differently in most cultures other than ours. So in our culture... Uh, every time I do a wedding, you know what they say to me? Hey, man, um, can you keep it short? Right? <laughs> I mean, we, we don't need like a sermon thing. Just if you could just keep it really tight, really short. In fact, 30 minutes for the whole thing, that would be ideal. Uh, and you know what I said when I got married almost 11 years ago now? I got that right, babe. Almost 11 years ago now, you know what I said? Hey, man, can you keep it short? Um, I don't need a sermon thing. I've got plans for after this, and I need it to be short. All right? And so was that TMI? Did I, did I go too far? No. Uh, I, I, I said, hey, man, I want you to keep it short. But most of the world doesn't do weddings like this. Most of, the, most of the world, much of the world, most might be an overstatement. I speak like I'm an educated man. I don't really know if it's most, but I know much of the world. Much of the world, wedding ceremonies last for several days. And this first century context uh, was the same. And in this context, in this setting, like much of the world today, the wedding ceremony is a several-day event, and it's a very social event. It's not, uh, hey, you come and just watch a couple get married. It's like we are participating in this week-long party, in this, in this day, seven days, uh, and for wine to run out would have been absolutely humiliating. It, it would have been, it's, it's, I don't have words to explain. I can't parallel it to running out of, wine at a reception like today's. It would have just brought utter shame on the bride and on uh, the groom and even on the, the, the wedding party, the guests. Hence the panic. Jesus, they're out of wine. Like when she comes, we, we, we've got to enter into first century world and feel the emotion of what she's saying because this is, this is not a statement. Hey, they're out of wine. I think we should roll to the next party. That's not what she's saying. This is... Uh, 
the mother of Jesus coming and saying, Jesus, they're out of wine. Can you fix it? Can you fix it? They're out of wine. Can you do something about it? You've got to feel the first century panic of what was about to happen when she says they're out of wine. And the question that she's asking is, can you fix this? And now let's look at how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to her, remember the question. They're out of wine. They've got no more wine. Can you fix it? And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So the mother of Jesus asks a very practical question. Can you fix the problem of no wine? And Jesus gives a theological answer. Practical question, theological answer. And so to understand it, we need to understand why wine was so important and what Jesus meant by hour. All right? So let's talk wine uh, first and then hour. In, uh, in the Old Testament, wine had a, um, a dual significance. D.A. Carson, brilliant theologian. Brilliant theologian. said this, wine became a technical term for the covenant blessings promised by God to Israel for obedience and withheld by God for disobedience. One example, I could give you plenty of examples, I'm going to give you one, Deuteronomy 28, Deuteronomy 28 is this part of the Old Testament where God is saying, hey, obedience, here's a list of blessings, disobedience, here's a list of cursings. And you know what one of the curses was? It was this. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes. So what does wine represent in the Old Testament? The abundance of wine represents the blessing of obedience and the lack of wine, the absence of wine, the growing the vineyards but not getting to drink the wine is the curse of disobedience. So in the Old Testament, blessing curse represented by having wine, not having wine, and now we need to understand the hour. What does it mean when he says the hour is not here? My hour is not yet come. Hour in John is a technical term. It's, it's shorthand for the cross. When he says my hour has not yet come, he's saying it's not time for the cross yet. Think with me. Think with me. They have no wine. It's not time for the cross yet. What in the world could Jesus possibly be talking about? This makes absolutely no sense. This is a complete, complete non sequitur. makes no sense what Jesus could possibly be saying when they say they're out of wine, practical. It's not time for the cross. Theological. Unless, unless, Jesus is at this wedding thinking of another wedding. Unless, unless Jesus doesn't have this wedding in His mind, but He has another wedding in His mind. And listen, we've all done it, right? We, we've all gone to weddings. Remember Jesus, fully God, fully man, enter into humanity here. We, we've all been at weddings and thought, well, mine's going to be like this and mine's going to be like that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Or I just can't wait for my wedding day. Or me, last night, I'm in a wedding, I'm at a wedding in this room sitting back, my right over there. 
and they started doing the vows, and I closed my eyes, and I started trying to picture what Amanda looked like when she was reading her vows. I was at a wedding, but I was thinking of another wedding. That's what Jesus is doing here. And it's the only way that it makes sense. The only way that this makes sense is if Jesus thinks that the cross is both the fulfillment of the Old Testament theology of wine, blessing and cursing, and and the central event in another wedding. It's the only way this makes sense. And the way Jesus restarts this wedding party gives us a clue. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted, the water now become wine. And so Jesus, the first thing we see, starts this, restarts uh, this, this wedding party with these stone jars that were used for purification. Now, the, the backdrop to that is this, that these stone jars by the Jews would have been used uh, for washing, the ceremonial washing before they went into the temple. Before they ever went into the temple. And the temple was the place where the presence of God dwelt. And so what they're saying what they were using them for was to say was a declaration um, that we uh, that, that we need to be cleansed before we go into the presence of God. And now here's the thing: it didn't do anything. They knew this. They knew this. It didn't do anything. It didn't actually cleanse them, but it was a declaration of their moral and spiritual impurity. And it was them saying that if we are not cleansed, we can't be embraced by God. That's what it. That's what's happening in their minds when they. When they grab these jars, the Jews would have known what those jars were used for. They would have caught on to what's happening here. But it's not, it's not just what they were used for, it's how big they were. Six stone jars, 20 to 30 gallons of wine. Now, I'm no engineer, but I think that's a lot of wine. If we average that out, we're talking 150, maybe up to 180 gallons of wine. If you guys ever have a party with 180 gallons of wine, I better get an invite. In fact, we all better get an invite. He, he's showing up and he's going, I, I can restart this party. I can restart this thing. Why in the world? Why, in the, why do you think, why do you think John would have written this down? Why do you think John would have recorded the 20 to 30 gallons? Well, there's two reasons, I think. One reason is this. They, there's a dual audience in mind. Remember from last week, if you were here last week, we said that John is writing to both Jews and Greeks. The Jews would have known, the Greeks wouldn't, right, as a pause. That, that's why we try to do everything we can to make Sundays understandable to everybody. This is what John was doing. He was saying, okay, wait a minute. Some of you wouldn't really have understood. Let me explain. We, we want to make sure that Sundays following John's pattern are understandable to everybody who comes in here. That's one goal that we have. But here's another reason. Could it be that John is trying to change the way that you see Jesus? See, I, I, think, 
I think many of us, I think that many of us, I don't know everybody, I can't say many of us, but let's say this, a lot of people I've talked to, a lot of my friends, a lot of my neighbors, a lot of Houstonians, that if we said, hey, why, why is it that you're not really interested in Jesus, this would be their perception. I think the perception would be this, and some of us in this room might have this perception, and we need to talk about it. It, it might be that I, I see Jesus and I see Christianity as a list of rules to be followed. I just I see it more as a religion, and a religion with a code of, uh, of obedience, etc., that I'm supposed to just live up to, but I don't live up to it. My neighbors don't live up to it. My, my friends don't live up to it, so why would I try to live up to it? And then the second is, is man, I just, it just looks boring to me, right? Like, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've heard this. I meant one day I think I will, but right now I just want to have a good time. One day maybe. Right now I just, I just want to have a good time. And could it be that John is trying to flip the script? Could it be that John is trying to step into your world like he was stepping into theirs and saying, listen, listen, the life of following Jesus is meant to be more like a perpetual party. Now, he's not saying go drink 150 gallons of wine this afternoon. But could it be that he is trying to say in this story that following Jesus is not meant to simply be just rules to be followed, but joy to be found? Could that be what John is trying to say here? Could it be that he's trying to say in using these stone jars that were meant for purification, listen, none of us have lived up. I, I haven't lived up. You haven't lived up. Last week we gave this analogy that, that if we asked for somebody to put a GoPro camera on their forehead so that we could play their week on the screen behind us, there would be zero volunteers. No, every one of us have shameful, embarrassing parts of our life that we want nobody to know about. Every single one of us. And could it be that John is trying to say we're all on the same playing field? And all of us started where you are, and in Jesus we found joy over rules. Fundamentally, Christianity is not about rules to be followed. It's about joy to be found. Would that be what John is trying to say? I think it is, or I wouldn't have just said that. And John is saying that when this is your life, your life then becomes a living foretaste of a wedding party to come. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, the true wedding party that is to come. When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, translation, they've had most of the 150 gallons. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. So the way it would work is they'd have the good wine up front. People would drink a lot. When their taste buds aren't working as well anymore, they water down wine, and then they give the bad wine second. That's what would have happened. But... But, but you have kept the good wine until now. And so Jesus steps into this wedding party and he flips the order. It's not good wine first and then the bad wine. It's we get the watered down wine first and then we save the good stuff for last. And when Jesus flips the order of the wedding party, he then parallels the story of the Bible. Because all of history 
all of human history is moving toward a wedding party to come where we will drink the good stuff. The parallels the story, but Revelation 19, verse 7. This is the end of the story. This is the end of human history. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Blessed is he who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of human history is moving toward a wedding party where we will dine with our King. And this is why he's trying to say, listen, life as a perpetual party following Jesus is a foretaste to the great party that is to come. And I know what you're saying, though. I know what you're thinking. You just read Revelation. You read the end of the story, and I didn't see wine in there. We've been talking about wine. I didn't see wine in Revelation. That's like the opposite of John 2, Brandon. No wine? I don't want to be at that party. Listen to Isaiah describe that day when there are no more tears, there's no more heartache. On this mountain, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a feast of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. This is the party that we're invited to. We're invited to the party that is to come where there will be rich food and good wine. This is a party with no twist-off caps and no boxed wine. There will be none of that. This will be the great legendary 1945 Bordeaux for all of eternity. That's the party that's coming. That's the party that we're invited to. Two, and the legitimate question is this, that if the text ends with this, if the text ends with this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, how do we know for sure, and how do you know for sure, and you have to wrestle with this, how do you know for sure that the invitation was extended? Here's how we know. There was a day when the wine ran out in Israel. There was a day when the wine ran out in Israel. And when that day got here, Jesus had a meal. And He grabbed a glass and He held it up. And He said, this is the cup of My blood poured out for you. And then He went to the cross. And on the cross, that wine became His blood. The hour came. And when the hour came on the cross, and when that, when that wine became the blood of Jesus, those jars were no longer symbolic. Those jars were no longer symbolic of a purification that was needed. They represent a purification that was happening at that moment. How do we know that the invitation was extended? Jesus had a meal and He raised a glass. And He said, this is My blood. That's how we know. And so how do we receive that invitation? We go back to John 2 and we keep reading. 
Verse 11, this is the first of His signs that Jesus did in Cana and manifested His glory and His disciples believed in Him. How do we receive the invitation? First, we receive with our heads. The first way is we receive with our heads. What did He say? This is the signs that were written. Why did John write these signs? That you might think deeply about who Jesus is. That you might read them, look at them, that you might examine who He is so that in turn you might examine your life. So that you might, so that you might look to Jesus and know that in the cross Jesus drank from the cup of sorrow so that you can drink from the cup of joy and that you would know that the person of Jesus wants to enter into the sorrow of your life so that you can enter into the joy of Christ. And then second, with our hearts. It says that he believed. To believe, it means more than to understand, it means to trust. It means that we're to say to Jesus, hey, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I'm handing my life over to you. It's like in the marriage. It's like when I was closing my eyes and trying to imagine last night that moment when I'm looking at my wife and she's reading her vows, and as she's reading this vows, she's saying to me, I'm entrusting my life to you. And as I read mine to her, I'm saying, I'm entrusting my life to you. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. To say, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I want to believe, is to say that I trust you, Jesus, with my life. And when you say, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life, here's what you're doing. You're accepting the invitation to the greatest wedding party the world has ever known. That's what you're doing. You're accepting the invitation to the greatest party the world has ever known. And this is why. This day that is to come is why I can stand up here and I can with great confidence tell you no matter what's happening right now, it will get better. It will get better. Listen, I, I know that I, I know that singleness can feel just painfully lonely at times. I know that. I, I know that infertility can be excruciating. I remember watching my wife cry through a clear glass window as I was playing racquetball when she found out. I know that a downturn in oil can lead to great anxiety in Houston. And here's what I can't tell you. I can't tell you that you won't be single. I can't tell you that, uh, that, that you will be a parent. I can't tell you that oil's going to turn around and we're all going to live in the land of milk and honey. I can tell you this, though. There's a party to come that will make it all better. And when this when this day is the governing hope of your life, when this day that is to come is the governing hope of your life, you can look at singleness and not be discontent. You, you, you can have just horrific pain and joy over infertility at the same time. Oil can roll down to $3 a barrel and it won't create an overwhelming anxiety in you. It might create unemployment in you. But even unemployment won't lead to gripping anxiety, not when this party is what's to come for you. When this is our life, when this is what we have, when we look to Jesus and know that He can hold up that cup and then He went to the cross, 
and that his wine or that wine became his blood and that we're invited to this party that is to come and our life becomes a perpetual foretaste of this day. It creates a, at least it can create an ongoing peace inside of you. An ongoing peace inside of you knowing that there's coming a day. That there's coming a day where we will sit around a massive table. We will be together with those who have followed Jesus from beginning to end. Someone will look at the boxed wine on the table and say, get rid of that. Get me that 45 Bordeaux. We are going to rejoice in the light for all of eternity. And that day might transcend the circumstances of your life today. It's a party worth waiting for. And it's a party worth trusting in. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you that we can sit in this room right now, that we can read John 2, and that we can know that what John is offering is a life that is like no other. That we know that what what he's trying to say is not, hey, there's better life circumstances to come, but there's a better life for you. Oh God, let us have, let us see, let us receive and delight in this life that is to come. And may the life that is to come transcend our lives today. Father, we need your help in this. We need your grace in this. Uh, We know that for you to do this in us, it requires a work of your Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.